0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2011 Annual Missions Conference. This is the evening service of Thursday the 2nd of June 2011, entitled Daring to Dream. And the Bible reading is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Here's Brother Richard Rose. Alright, good to be in the house of the Lord again this evening, and I'm uh, very glad to see each one of you here. I'm reminded of what a fellow said one time. He said, you know, if you hadn't come, nobody would have come. (laughs) Some of the sayings I pass on are real deep, okay? So (laughs) hang on, amen. But uh, (coughs) pardon me. I do want to say that I thoroughly enjoyed your presentation, brother, and challenged my heart, spoke to me, and I appreciate Brother Ronald Downey and his uh, family being here as well. And I'm glad you brought your family, amen. And uh it's just good to be here. I appreciate you inviting me back, and having me each year to come. And uh I uh am almost tempted to say I don't know why, <laughs> amen. <laughs> but but I appreciate you inviting me. And uh I love you folk and the Lord. I've I've got uh, a few churches that I've told them in the past, I said, Look, if you ever stop inviting me, and helping me with my expenses, please pray, because I want to come anyway, amen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, so, if if somebody's tired of putting up with me, you know, I hope that you'll uh, keep putting up with me, amen, because I enjoy coming. And I want to say I appreciate also the nice com- accommodations. Uh, Amber's so kindly given up her room again this year, and I think she's redecorated it just especially for me amen and I appreciate that. that Where you at yeah amen I uh, I told uh, brother Larry I said you tell Amber that I've gotten old older pardon me older and grouchy and she better give me all the room I need <laughs> I think she took that to mean her room was to, you know, I mean she's rearranging the room and uh, I tell you it's really nice pretty amen and uh, but I appreciate that amen Appreciate Amber. We, uh, I pick at her a lot. She's kind of halfway adopted me as her uh, granddad, uh, second granddad, and uh, I appreciate that. Enjoyed the food. i tell you what, uh, I, I, I enjoy this ministry. Boy, I like to eat, and that's one of the good things that I, I get to do. I've had, uh, I've had people to ask me, though, said, Brother Rawls, the way these people feed you in all these churches, how in the world do you eat like this and not get as big as a barn door? You know, and I I tell them I said, well I've learned a few things, you know, to eat and some not to eat. But uh, those that I shouldn't eat, I seem to be getting over into that area and eating them anyway. So you pray for me, Amen, Amen. These uh these churches are beginning to pretty well round out my ministry. <laughs> All right, now you can go ahead and laugh. Some said, you know, it won't cost you anymore, Amen. <laughs> All right. Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. And I do love you in the Lord, every one of you. Brother Malcolm, Sister Liz, they even came over to see me one year. They're gluttons for punishment, amen. (laughs) Yes, sir. Tried to get them to spend the night with us, and they said they'd uh, already rented a car, and I think had a motel room or something rented, and we couldn't talk them into staying overnight, Brother Larry. I don't know. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) well I, I think it's what they thought amen but uh, we enjoyed them coming and they were a blessing and the next time you come over brother be sure to plan to spend the night with us, amen, two or three nights if we want to amen all right notice I stopped on two or three nights <laughs> I wouldn't care if you stayed longer amen but uh, it is a blessing to be here Let's uh, let's stand please I want to read to you two verses of scripture Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and, 13. and while you're standing, I want to apologize for not standing when the uh, pastor asked us to stand to sing. My back, I've hurt my back pretty badly with my our handicapped daughter, Sheila. And uh, I can stand up all right if I've got something to kind of lean on. And uh, part of that's old age, too, you know. But uh, that's the reason I don't stand when we're singing. It's not that I'm too lazy to stand. It's just my back hurts pretty much. So you excuse me on that, please. All right, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul the Apostle, again, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as all the Bible is written. He says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, and look what God is working in us. He said, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputing. I want to talk to you tonight on this subject, daring to dream. And I want to relate this, if I could, by the help of the Lord, uh, to the matter of determining and doing the will of God. Okay? So you pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name the name above every name, I pray that you'd help me that I might speak exactly what you once said. I pray that you'd give liberty and power. And I ask you, Lord, that you'd call forth laborers into thy service. And I ask you, Lord, that you'd make the message very clear and very plain. And I pray that you'd help us to see in the Scriptures, Father, the way that you've worked with people in calling them to do a specific work. And I pray, dear God, that you'd help us that we might, Father, even... Uh, get hold of these truths and echo them and pass them on to other people that's searching for your will. And I ask you, God, that you'd accomplish uh, great things through the results of this message with other people being called and answering that call to uh, go into your will and your service, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I want to say, first of all, that the will of God is not to be feared uh, God's will, you find in the book of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, God's will is always good, acceptable, and perfect. In uh, that passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, uh, Paul the Apostle, uh, speaking there, he said, I beseech you, or beg you, implore you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy holy, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world uh, he's exhorting the people not only to be holy but he said don't don't conform to the world, don't try to look like the world, you know think like the world talk like the world and uh, act like the world and smell like the world you know, uh, he said uh, uh, he said be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed and that's from the worldly ways of the world and uh, worldly condition and the ways this flesh would take us in if we just uh, turned loose to follow the allurements of the world and the temptations of the flesh. He said, be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed. And here's the way we are transformed. Listen to the next part. By the renewing of your mind and that is simply that we need to be in the Word of God daily day in and day out, we need to be listening to gospel, good, I should say good gospel preaching, and teaching, and we need to be fellowshipping with God's people, we need to be actively renewing our minds, and the I-N-G on that makes that word a gerund, it's an action verb, and it's an ongoing process, he says that that, uh, by the renewing of your mind, that we may prove, that is to prove it experimentally by actual experience, listen, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will for us, his children, it is always good and it is always acceptable and it is always perfect. Amen? Now, When we accept the will of God in our lives, the devil time and again will say to us, now if you do that, uh, you're going to get yourself in a real mess. You're just going to get yourself in a real mess. Uh, You you know, you don't want to do that now. You be careful. I distinctly remember when I was preaching over at Faith Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina, and I think the year was 82, uh, 83, I forget which year it was, but in the mission conference, and uh, Brother Larry came forward the second night of the meeting, and uh, I thought it was interesting. On the first night, I had so emphasized the need of Mexico and was trusting and praying God would call somebody to go to Mexico. And when Brother Larry came forward the next night, uh, I'm, you know, he said, God's called me in the first thought in my mind. He's going to Mexico. He said, God's called me to go to England. I said, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> that's not the first time that had happened, you know. I'm preaching my heart out about Mexico, and somebody says, God's led me to go to Germany, or God's led me to go to Spain, or God's led, you know, well, amen. <laughs> but but uh, I remember his testimony. He said, last night, God spoke to me so plainly and said, I want you to go to England as a missionary. But he said, I thought, Lord, no, please, no. Uh, I, I, I don't want to take my family. I don't want to take my children there. And, uh, and, and he said just, just things about it that, and he said, uh, I went in to kiss my babies good night, my children. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, listen, I can take better care of your children over in England with you being in my will than you can take care of them here in America being out of my will. And he said, I'm going. And then I remember last night he was talking to me. He said, you know, he said, why do you, why do you have to be so poor and struggling? And he wouldn't tell you this. But, uh, but then he, I said that to say this. He followed that statement by saying, I wouldn't trade this for anything else in the world. Now, unless you have found out something, unless you've matured or grown in the grace of God, you might have difficulty understanding that. He was working as either the sales manager or business manager of Steve White Lincoln Mercury with acres and acres of new cars and he was being paid handsomely for doing that and I don't think he's been paid handsomely in this world since he did it. Amen. But uh, (coughs) the will of God is not to be feared. Now, uh, God wants to use you and I, and he wants people that have as of yet not surrendered to go to the place and work in the location and in the work that God has called them to. And there is very probably or possibly some people right here in this small congregation tonight that might be dealing with that and uh, possibly praying and saying, Lord, where do you want me to go? What exactly do you want me to do? And am I in your will with what I'm doing right now? Uh, You know, I remember distinctly when God called me to preach. Now, you're talking about somebody backward, mercy alive. Uh, If there had been an, an award in the high school annual for the person least likely to succeed, I would have gotten that one, amen. And if there had been another award for the most unpopular, I would have been the winner of two awards, those two, amen. And uh, I refused, (coughs) pardon me, I refused to make a four-minute speech in uh, Parliament procedure in an agricultural class in front of about 12 or 15 boys, and uh, all of those other boys had to make that same speech. I was the only one that finished that year in that class that that did not make that speech. And my uh, teacher, I never will forget him, Mr. Whitlow, he said... He said, listen, he said, Willis, he said, you were going to make that speech. I'm telling you, if you don't make it, I'm going to fail you. And, uh, oh, mercy, I tried. He said, practice, get out in the woods somewhere, practice. And uh, I'd practice, and I'd practice, and I'd get in front of those boys, and I'd say about four or five words and freeze up. My own words coming out of my own mouth confused me, amen. I tell you, and then God saved me shortly after that and called me to preach. I said, God, I not only cannot speak in front of a group, I can't even carry on a conversation. I'm, you're talking about somebody's in a mess. I figured I'd never get married. I mean, I did, I figured I'd never get up the nerve to ever propose to a lady, you know and somebody say to me you know try and talk to me get a conversation going." I said sure it's been dry yep <laughs> we sure do need rain don't we yep <laughs> all crops burning up aren't they yep <laughs> you say preacher it couldn't been that bad you didn't know me amen and God said, I want you to preach. I said, oh, God, I'd be willing, I'd be willing to do anything under the sun you asked me to do. But you've asked me to do something I can't. And then I'd, after I'd say that, I'd pause, and I'd expect to hear that still, small voice, yes, you can. And it never did come. I said, see there, God, we're greed. I can't. You know it. I know it. I'm going to tell you, you're talking about being weak in faith. I don't know. The morning I surrendered to preach, I felt like I'm going to make the biggest fool out of myself that ever was. Somehow I was assured God's going to get glory from it, but I'm not just, I'm just going to make a fool out of myself. Amen. And, uh, I remember I had a, a church that, <coughs> pardon me, had asked me to conduct the prayer service. And, uh, that was my first opportunity and I prayed, you're talking about fear and trembling, I didn't have stage fright, it was way past that, it was stage terror, I mean just plain old stark terror, amen, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, oh God please help me, and finally got consoled with the thought, if I get up there and really bomb out, you know, it's not going to be about maybe 12, 14 people there, they're friends, they won't be too hard on me, And, uh, I never will forget, as a country church, we rounded that last curve coming in from the back way. And I thought to myself, my soul, there's been a bad wreck. There's probably killed, people killed, bodies laying out in the, in the road. And I was looking on over toward town. And, uh, I didn't see any red lights, no police cars coming, no ambulances, no sirens, you know. And we get on up there, and I'm telling you what, I began to recognize the cars, number of the cars, and I realized the wreck has not happened, they've come to see, but I was real sure it's going to happen. It was me. I go in that church, country church, I take one of the last seats available, it was in the choir and all these people sitting out there I don't know how in the world I, the word I don't know how they even got the word on it hadn't been announced on the radio sure it wasn't announced on television I uh, wasn't half a dozen people in that town I don't guess even on the television back then but uh, <coughs> I walked up there and they you know and they're singing and getting ready and they, the pastor on the platform said we're going to sing this one last song we're going to turn over Brother Richard and I'm hoping maybe they'll get excited and they'll just keep on singing keep on singing and I looked in that Silly song, didn't have but four verses. And they sung the first one, nobody's excited. Sung the second, nobody's excited. Sung the third one, I believe it was going downhill instead of getting excited. My head was beginning to swim. My heart was pounding in my chest. I said, Lord, if you don't help me, I'm about five seconds from hitting the floor. I'm not even going to get in the pulpit to mess up. God help me. And when they... Finally said, "Come on, Brother Rawls," I'm, and that seemed like it's coming awful fast, you know that. And I, a miracle happened. You say, "Preacher, I wouldn't brag on myself like that." No, the miracle was I stood up. And my knees held me. <laughs> I'm like the fellow said. He said, "I'm so scared my knees are playing Yankee Doodle Dandy." <laughs> you know, I wish I was in Dixie. <laughs> and, and I walked up to that pulpit, and I'm telling you, what's the fact, folks? I looked at those folk, that packed church auditorium, and I didn't see a thing in the world to be afraid of. It's like the Lord said, I'm with you. (laughs) I said, amen. And I preached from Genesis to Revolution. I figured I'd been up there about five or ten minutes, you know. (laughs) My girlfriend said after the service, boy, I didn't think you was ever going to stop. I said, how long did I go? She said, about 45 minutes. Oh, me. So you've got to pray for him. I was born long way today, man. I remember after that service, and uh, uh, you know, the devil, devil said, you are some kind of an example of a preacher. It looked like God calling you to preach, he'd at least give you a Bible. I preached my first sermon from a borrowed Bible. My Bible didn't have any backs on it. My clothes, I dressed in the very best I could. Are you talking about people poor? We were too poor to pay attention at our house. I'm telling you, poor folk drive by our house. They say, now poor folk live there, and they're pointing to us. My suit looked like we'd been to a dog fight, and the dogs won. I mean, it was frayed, didn't match, you know. And uh, (laughs) I won't say about the fitting, it probably didn't fit either. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Here's a rag tag, no box in the Bible, and uh, you know <laughs> a pitiful excuse for a suit, and uh Devil said said if God called you to preach, look like he'd give you a suit too. And uh I preached, I didn't say a word about money, I didn't say a word about my need. I preached on following the Lord and got a lot of that. And when I got down from the pastor, said, I want you folks come around and shake hands with me. I tell you what, about the second or third one in line started shouting, Amen. <laughs> and I don't know if they're shouting because I finished and didn't faint, but I, I remember as other people started shouting in the church. And, uh, and hey, one of the fellows, the people hugging my neck and they're crying, I'm crying, Amen. <laughs> And the fellow got his hand hung in my coat pocket like this, and he's trying to push it back down, try and get it out, you know, and the coat's coming up. And he finally just pulled his hand out and kind of pushed it, other. And I looked, in my pockets it was bulging on this side, and it was $1 bills. And he had a five, amen. And he said, here. I said, he pushed, pressed this $5 in my hand. I said, what's that for? He said, you'll know what to do with it, amen. And I said, after the service, I said to the pastor, I said, Brother Mayo, I said, I'm not preaching for money. Why do those people put all that money in my pocket? And Sister Mayo, his wife, spoke up, and she's like a mother to me in the Lord. She said, Rich, maybe the Lord's supplying that new suit you've been praying for. And I said, Amen. And I went to town the next day, and it didn't have quite enough. Amen. <laughs> and, but I paid it down, and the fellow at the store, he said, he said, I'll carry you for the rest of it. And I got that paid out, and I think about nine more dollars I needed. But the uh, devil said, you still don't have no Bible. And I said to Sister Mayo, I, I shouldn't say Mom Mayo, I said, I, I still don't have a Bible. She said, well, the Lord's provided this suit. I said, I believe he'll give you a Bible. And they invited me to come down to their home the next Monday for lunch. And after we'd eaten lunch, Brother Mayo just got up and disappeared for a bit, came back in, and he handed me a Bible, leather bound. Had my name embossed in Boston gold in the bottom right-hand corner of it, and uh, I don't consider myself to be a great shining example of a great stalwart preacher, but I'm going to tell you I'm having the time of my life wherever I am at down you know, down here. Amen. Listen, the will of God is always good, acceptable, and perfect. Amen. Hey, I believe with all of my heart. God is calling people to serve Him. In fact, I have Bible for it in the book of Matthew, chapter nine and verse thirty-seven, the book of Luke, chapter uh, two, uh, ch- pardon me, chapter ten and verse two, almost identical requests or commands that we're uh, given to pray. And uh, uh, Matthew nine thirty-eight, pardon me, but uh, pray you therefore the Lord of the Harvest that He will send forth laborers into his harvest and then in the book of Luke chapter 10 and verse 2 said therefore said he unto them the harvest truly is great but the laborers are few pray ye therefore the lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest did you know it's the will of god this evening as i'm speaking for people to be used to be called to be sent forth to work for the lord did you know that Boy, I tell you what, and I know that with I know without a question or shadow of, my, of doubt in my mind, when we talk about praying for God to call you to be missionaries or praying for God to give you a, a real work to do or put you to work, I'm telling you, folks, listen, the devil's got us hoodooed to thinking, no, 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 don't do that. It's going to be the worst thing that could ever happen, and if not the worst thing, going to be close to it. That is a lie straight out of hell. Listen, I say again to you, the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. And when you surrender and sell out and follow God, you know, it's not going to be a bed of roses. But I'm going to tell you something. You're going to find out it's good. You're going to find out it's real good. And you're going to find out that there'll be some things that'll test your faith a little bit along the way. But even the times of testing are going to be acceptable. And then when you get way on down the road and maybe you done hit about 70 or 75, and I can speak from experience, you can just rest in the Lord and just lean over on His bosom and say, Praise God, thank you, Lord, for calling me. I wouldn't have had it any other way. It is perfect. Amen. 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 Could I say this evening, if God's calling somebody here to be a missionary, there is a people and a place... That's waiting for you. God has folk that are longing for you to come to help them, to teach them, to show them the way. Brother Keith, there are people over there in Ireland are in, in, in over there that's waiting for you to come. They don't know they're waiting for you to come. <laughs> that's that's a paradox, isn't it? But uh they're searching. They're searching. There are people in Africa, Sister Shelley, that's longing for somebody. To come and show us the way. And there are people all over the world. Tonight. Just as lost as they can possibly be. Going to a devil's hell that's just as real as it can possibly be. And oh that somebody would go and tell them. Oh that somebody would have compassion upon them. And go and show them the way. Listen. It may seem that it wouldn't be too rewarding. And I'm going to tell you something, you haven't lived until you see somebody saved that you personally worked with and prayed for and prayed for and prayed for and, prayed for. and you've seen the work of God in their life where they've been w- awakened to righteousness, brought under conviction, brought to repentance and then to faith in Christ through the preaching of the Word of God and God had you as the star witness in the, in the processing of all of it. And God's used you to love that soul and bring them to Jesus. Let me give you a good illustration of what I'm talking about. You remember in the book of Acts chapter 20, when Paul was meeting with the Ephesian pastors, and he told them, he said, you will see my face no more. In other words, this was the last time, this side of eternity, that they were going to see him. And and the Scripture says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 36, And when he had thus spoken, when he's told them this, they kneeled down and prayed with them all, and the Bible says, and they all wept sore. wasn't just one or two of them, but these were grown men, pastors. And every one of them, they wept sore, and they fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. You know why they're weeping sore? You know why they're weeping to this extent? Because of the love that they have for Paul, and because of what Paul means to them and what he's done for them in uh, being used in uh, working in their lives. And uh, they wept sore. They loved him to that extent. I was down in Mexico, and a missionary named Don Vickers, was. Uh, he was going, uh, coming out on furlough, and he had asked me, he said, Brother Rawls, he said, my old truck is running so bad. He said, I've, I've timed it and worked it so that when you folk go back to the border, he said, I'm going to start my furlough. And he said, I want, to, I want to travel with you. He said, I'm not sure my old truck will make it back out. And uh, it uh, didn't completely quit, but it did have a problem where we had to stop and repair it en route. But uh, before we left, his people in his church knew that he was going to uh, go back out. And listen, this was just for a year's furlough. Those, some of those people had gathered at his home that were not working and uh, that could come and I want you to know they hugged Brother Vickers and hugged his wife Millie and they wept and cried and, and just, they didn't just, just cry a little bit they actually were leaning on each other you'd have thought there had been a death in the family I saw the same thing again down in Mexico first time it went down a missionary named Otis Seals and uh, hey those same people uh, he just—he was on furlough. Had gone back down to kind of check on the work, and was going back out. And we were—and uh, uh, a few days later, but as the, we went for the last service, and we'd gone to about five, I think, it was five different locations, and was uh, preaching meetings. I didn't know Spanish then, and and still don't know it as well as I'd like to. But but he was interpreting for me, and uh, I remember distinctly in one of those churches where. They weren't going to see him again until he went back out and came back from, from his furlough. And it's the same thing again. I'm telling you, those people just 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 weeping and, and broken. Folk, you haven't lived until you've helped somebody to Jesus. And you see them with the love that they have, with the understanding and appreciation that they have. But you know something? Listen. The problem with people being used of God so often is the feeling or the belief that you know I'm such a nobody that God couldn't ever. I, I, I or let me rephrase that. They think I could never hope or expect God to do anything unusual with me, or maybe be used in a great way. What at all? Just He just couldn't be. And if it's left up to us, yes, I'd say a. A very loud and frank yes we can't do it but it's not with us it is the lord working through us that's that's the key to it but so many people say well i i, I just can't talk and you sure got to talk if you're going to teach or you know a fellow going to preach amen and uh and i kind of vaguely remember a fellow that had that same excuse in the bible in fact, I believe his name was Moses wasn't it but somehow the Lord got around that didn't he man the meekest man that ever lived on the face of the earth Moses God used him and uh, he sent Aaron to be a, a spokesman for him and then somebody says well my personality is so poor I just really don't have a personality and uh, I think that of the scripture God respecteth no man's person and then somebody else says well Uh, My education is so limited and I'm so far down the road, I really can't do a whole lot about that. But I'm reminded in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, when the apostles spoke, the Bible says the people marveled. They were amazed and uh, took knowledge of them, though they were ignorant and unlearned men, took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Oh, listen. Folk are not interested in how much we know and, uh, until they know how much we care. Right. Amen. Amen? And uh, so the, the can't talk is not an excuse. The personality is no excuse. The education is no excuse. And then somebody says, well, preacher, the Lord has so many people working for him. Surely he doesn't really need me. But then I remind you of the scriptures that we read that God's eyes... First of all, are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him, and then follow that up with those two passages where the Lord is calling and commanding us to pray for laborers laborers matthew nine thirty eight Luke chapter ten, and verse two. Hey, God wants to wants laborers to go out to labour for him, and He's calling laborers. I hesitate to mention this, but I'm reminded of Dr. James Crumpton, the president of Maranatha Baptist Mission uh, years ago. And uh, he told the story that he said, he said, my mother uh, said wash day were on Tuesday, and this was before we had running water. And he said, uh, I, I knew it was on Tuesday. And he said, I would get up early in the morning. And he said, then I would go down way down way out of hearing distance, and I would spend the whole day at the creek, you know, just playing in the water and what have you. And he said, I would come in late in the evening when I knew the washing was done, and said his mother would say, James, where in the world have you been? said, I called and called for you. I needed you to draw the water out of the well for me to do the washing with. And he said, Mom, I didn't hear you. He said, I, I was honest, I didn't hear her. But he said, I purposed to be out of range where I couldn't hear her. And I want to ask you this evening is there anybody here, and you're purposely trying to stay out of range of hearing God's call? Don't do that. I beg you, don't do that. I made a list of some 50 odd preachers that I've known in my lifetime that have now gone on to be with the Lord. And these were older men without an exception that I can think of. And uh, and then I'm looking in the mirror and I said, man I've turned 75 years old. One of these days uh, I'm going to pass on. Amen. I like what D.L. Moody said. He said, the day is coming, you're going to read in the paper that D.L. Moody is dead. But he said, don't you believe it? Oh, he said, don't you believe that? He said, I'm going to be more alive than I've ever been in my life. And that's that's the way it's going to be with me. Amen. You're going to hear one day, you're going to read in the paper or somewhere, uh, Richard Rawls is dead, but don't you believe that? Amen. Don't you believe that? I'm going to be more alive than I've ever been in my life. I'm seventy-five. I'm soon to be passing off the scene, and even if I don't pass off the scene, you pray for me because I'm telling you, my it's not my memory's getting bad. It's just my forgetter is working better than it ever has in this life. I'm telling you, I, I, oh my, just I forget. Amen. But uh, hey, God's seeking people. The Lord is seeking people now. I'm, I'm oh my. I'm glad we get to heaven won't have clocks. Amen. But You ever thought about what God's done? When God was ready to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, he put a burden on the heart of a man by the name of Nehemiah. He heard about the walls being broken down and uh, how the gates were burned with fire. And he, not only in his mind when he heard that, the Bible tells us that he went over, he made an inspection tour and he saw it all. And then... He not only saw them broken down, but in his mind's eye, he had a vision of what those walls would look like if they were repaired. And God burdened his heart about it. And uh, he was so burdened that he mourned and fasted and wept and prayed certain days. You know what God was doing? He was preparing Nehemiah to go back to be the one to head up the party to rebuild those walls. And you know the story how that the king saw him and, and, uh, wanted to know why he was, you know, sad faced. And he prayed, he feared, and he said to the, said to the king, he said, why shouldn't I, I'm paraphrasing, why shouldn't I be, be sad? He said, the walls of the city of my people are broken down. And before it was finished, the, the king in effect handed him a blank check and said, uh, go back, and whatever you need, it's going to be done, it's going to be supplied, and you take care of that, and get those walls back up. You know, I, I hadn't studied this out, but I had a preacher talking to me on the phone, he said, you know, that, was the, uh, uh, that, that particular king was the grandson of a lady named Esther. Isn't that amazing? And God used Nehemiah, put a burden in his heart, and a vision for those walls. Hey, Nehemiah was a slave, if you please when God started working to do all this. I think about Daniel, you know he was captive in Babylon and uh, you know the decree comes down, the king saw a vision, forgot what it was and going to kill all the wise men and Daniel said, hey hold on, hold on. He said, let's don't be in too big a hurry. He said just give me a little time. He said I'll I'll tell you what the dream is and take care of this. And uh, before it's finished Daniel is set up as a prime minister in Babylon. And they changed kings, but they still kept the same prime minister, isn't that amazing? I think about Mordecai, and we could talk about him. Boy, he was under the sentence of death when the Lord turned the whole situation around and used him for the preservation of Israel. And there was Joseph, Moses, we could talk about them. Moses born under the sentence of death and uh, hidden by his, uh, his mother and his sister for three months. And then uh, it, he was, ended up being adopted in Pharaoh's household and Pharaoh's daughter paid Moses' own mother to nurse him. <laughs> I, I can't help but laugh at some of these things. Amen. <laughs> and and uh, I'd like to park there and preach about, a, about an hour. But hey, Moses born under the sentence of death. How in the world could somebody like that ever do anything? And ends up being adopted into Pharaoh's household, versed in all the wisdom of Egypt, 40 years versed. And when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he goes down to Goshen, sees an, an Egyptian smiting one of his brethren, kills that fellow, hit his body in the sand. Down there the next day, sees two Israelites fighting. Uh, somebody said that's where the Baptist church got its start, amen. <laughs> but but uh, he intervened and he said, Your brethren, you ought not to fight. And they said, You're going to turn on us, kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday. Well, Moses said, Surely this thing's known throughout all the land. And he's got to make a decision. Is he going back to Pharaoh and saying, Look, I played the fool. I killed a man yesterday and yada yada. And, uh, you know, get off the hook. Uh, no, he chose to leave Egypt. And he fled Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. But when he was intervening to stop the Israelites fighting, listen to what he said. He supposed that they would understand how that God by his hand would deliver them out of the Egyptian bondage. But they understood not. I can see, and you pardon me, but I can see why two fellows carnal enough to fight would uh, not understand, have that knowledge But the real question is, where did Moses get his information? How did Moses know that God's going to use him to that end? He knew because God had already put it in his heart. God had already put a vision in his heart. And uh, I say, and I'm going to say this in closing. Listen, when God's ready to do a work, He starts with a plan and chooses a man. I'm not excluding the ladies, I'm speaking of that, I don't know if it's the right term, generic sense. And then God puts it in that person's heart uh, to do something about the need at hand. And then our text says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God puts a vision in the heart of that person that he wants to use for what it ought to be and how it ought to be. And that vision involves believing that God cares and will do something about it and uh, believing that the need needs to be met and it's accompanied by a willingness and a desire to be the one that God uses. And then faithfulness it may not be that it'll come to pass immediately. Moses was 80 years old when he headed back to Egypt to do what God had been preparing him for all those years. Faithfulness. Faithfulness required. Joseph was faithful in as a slave in Potiphar's house, and when he was a prisoner, Mordecai would not bow before Haman, the enemy. And uh, listen, listen. God honored their their faithfulness, and God honored their patience. And if you're waiting, and God's working, and you're open to His will, and you're uh, preparing for His will as best as you know how. Don't think that God has forgotten about you and where you live, where you serve. Amen. He'll bring it to pass in his own time. J.O. Fraser had a burden for the Lisu people in China. And he liked to never found somebody that would even take him back to them because they were such violent people. But God used him to raise up scores. And finally, even as I remember, hundreds of churches, among those people, a great ingathering of souls. William Carey dreamed about a printing press to help expedite the printing of the Word of God. And God gave that to him with countless numbers of thousands of people coming to Christ. Adoniram Judson dreamed about thousands knowing Christ and uh, and buried three wives in the process of translating the Bible into the uh, into the Burmese language. And he never saw those thousands come to Christ but thousands in Burma have come to Christ and almost without exception when they were coming to Christ, they were coming as a result of hearing a sermon or a message or a personal worker using the Judson Bible. As the fellow said, excuse me. Woo! 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 Amen. Dr. David Livingston, Jim Elliott, on and on we could go. God is searching for people that'll just let go, and let him have his way, and he wants to send people out to work in his vineyard. Our sister came and said to, showed me the song, she had no idea what I was going to preach on tonight, and she said, Brother Rawls, would it would this song, song work tonight? And I said, it couldn't be more perfect. My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? Seems my children all want to stay around my table, but no one wants to work in my field. Push away from the table. Look out through the window pane. Just beyond the house of plenty lies the fields of golden grain. And they're ripe on the harvest, but the reapers, where are they? In the house. Oh, count the many. I hear my father sadly say, Let's stand please, heads bowed and eyes closed. I wonder if there's one or more would lift your hand and say, Brother Rawls, I don't know but what God's dealing with me about being a missionary, some capacity, serving somewhere, going beyond what I'm doing right now. Would you, would you slip your hand up and say, with that uplifted hand, please pray for me. Would you? Would you raise your hand, please? God bless you. God bless you. Are there others... Slip your hand up and say, Pray for me. Our Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that somehow you'd awaken us, Lord, to the needs about us. Help us, oh God. Help us, God, to bloom where we're planted, serve faithfully, but God, to be open to your call, to your beckoning. I know that you're looking for ladies that will serve you working with children, working with other ladies and maybe being a preacher's wife or a missionary, uh, missionary's wife, God. God, I pray whatever, Lord, that you'd just put it in our hearts. Give us a vision. Lord, give us a willingness to do the work you want done. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be yielded. We we'll just, Lord, let you work through us and we'd be pliable and uh, where the, like the potter, can mold the clay. Help us to, to be where we can be molded and shaped. And Lord, I know when when we, Father, really look at your will, Father, sometimes it's scary. Most times it's scary. God, help us realize you're always faithful. And help us to follow you. In Jesus' name and for a sake, we pray. With our heads still bowed and eyes closed, if you want to come to the altar, the altar is open let slip out and come on. Mind the Lord. Slip out and come on. God bless you. Pastor, you come please. Amen. Come on. Let the church pray with you. Maybe somebody here tonight and you're saying, Well, preacher, I'm not really sure. Let me tell you how you can how you can settle this. That scripture we read in the book of Philippians, chapter 12, Parma chapter two, verses eleven and twelve. That twelfth verse says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. God puts a vision and a burden in a person's heart for the work he wants done. And he puts a willingness in their heart to do it and when we let go, let the Lord work doing what he wants to in it, God will bring to pass the doing, the performing of that work. He'll bring it to pass. I urge you missionary pastors don't be afraid to dream and don't be afraid to even dream big. And committed to God and keep that vision before the Lord where there's no vision the people perish I wish I had time to share with you our first pastor you're talking about a hole in the wall building problems in the congregation it it, it looked like an absolute impossible situation but I preached in one of the most beautiful churches in that town this past Sunday guess who's the pastor of that church man it was saved in our ministry a little block building initially I used to look at that building when we was another old tumble down ex-juke joint beer joint rat hole of a place we had and I'd say God if you just give us that I'd, I'd be pleased God gave the ministry that through this other man plus the church that we pastored going on beautiful building good congregations Hey, and I told the people this last Sunday when I was preaching over there. I said, you know, I said, I remember praying for God to give us this building, if it'd be pleasing to Him, that little shotgun straight block building. and I said, God's given you so much, it makes that building look like a joke. But it's not the building, week in week out, that pastor's ministering to upwards toward 300 souls, 300 people. God's called preachers to preach and singers to sing. Workers have gone out. Oh, my. Let go and dare to see what God will do with you.